On today's episode of the show, we dive into the world of herbalism, which is so exciting. I share with you my origin story, how I became very interested in herbalism and what steps I've taken to learn and how it brought me to the knowledge that I have today. I talk about how to build out your own apothecary for medicine at home, how to forage for your own medicine outside, how to safely identify different kinds of herbs. We talk about how to form connections with the plant world in a deeper way and how that really is the beginning of all of this work. We talk about how to know what to forage in which season. I also share my absolute favorite books on herbalism at the very end of the show. And uh, it's just a really fun episode all about herbs. Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. Let's dive in. Hello, hello. Hi, everyone. It's me. Hi. I'm the problem. It's me. <laughs> Will we ever again in our lives be able to speak those words? It's me. Hi. And not complete the Taylor Swift lyrics. I don't I don't think so. But hi, it's me. It's Rachel Brayton. I am so happy to be back. We have a brand new episode of From the Heart coming your way right here. I am sitting in my office looking out at the beautiful trees beginning to change color right now. I have this gorgeous maple tree right in front of my window and she has like little highlights going on right now. She's still lush and green, but she has some hints of yellow. And even if I look really closely, I can see some orange there as well. It means fall is upon us. Fall is here. We are so close to fall equinox as well, which is coming up just, I think, next week. We are all the way halfway through September. Time is just flying, I feel, right now. It really is time to say goodbye to summer. If you listen to the daily practice, my daily podcast with a little daily self-care practice every day, this week on the show, we focused on transitioning from summer into fall with little little practices and little nuggets of wisdom to kind of help us connect our inner rhythm to the rhythm of nature, which is something I feel is so important. And I'm just sort of beginning to realize how important it is for us to live a life that's connected to the seasons, that, to live a life that's connected to what's actually happening in nature. And that's kind of a challenging thing to do. 
you know, the way society looks today, we're living in these little bubbles of our homes and we have heating and cooling and we have artificial lighting and we have food that comes conveniently packaged from Uber Eats or Postmates or, you know, the grocery store, however you get your food. It's easy today to live a life completely disconnected from the seasons. Aside from, you know, I think a lot of people are like, it's fall, let's drink pumpkin spice lattes and wear knitted sweaters and all that cute stuff, which of course comes along with fall and is all wonderful and great too. I actually just devoured a pumpkin spice loaf, absolutely inspired by the pumpkin spice loaf at Starbucks, which I haven't had in years, but used to be my absolute favorite thing back in the day when Starbucks was um, <laughs> was a common occurrence in my life. Feels like a long time ago now. But in addition to that, you know, the coziness of knitted sweaters and lighting candles and all of that, we have something genuinely beautiful and powerful happening out in nature, of course, every day, but particularly in this transition between seasons. And I really think that when we have this change happening outside, there is an automatic change happening inside. We are connected to the seasons and our bodies are asking for slightly different things right now. If you really tune in, that was the work on the daily daily show, on the daily practice. If we really tune in just to see what do we need? What does my body want? How has what I'm craving deeply in terms of nourishment and hydration and movement and sleep, how has that changed if I compare, you know, middle of September to say beginning of June or middle of June? There is a difference outside and within us. And I feel really blessed being able to live a life where I am able to live closely connected to the seasons, which I definitely didn't do a couple of years ago. I definitely didn't do in my Starbucks days <laughs> uh, when we lived in Aruba. The first years of moving to Aruba when I, so let me think, this was before we had the yoga studio, definitely before we had kids. I would go to Starbucks with my computer every day after I taught my yoga class and I would sit there and work and I had this dream of maybe starting my own website or maybe one day doing yoga retreats. I wanted to just grow my business online and I would go to Starbucks because it had air conditioning and I would order myself, what would I order? The middle size. Okay, I'm sounding like an idiot now, but I truly can't remember the medium version, whatever it's called at Starbucks. Oh my God, come on, a grande. I would order a grande soy milk latte because back in that day, there was no oat milk at Starbucks. There was, I don't think there was even almond milk. Definitely no oats. I think it went from soy and then they had like a coconut version back when in the soy craze when no one wanted to drink soy milk anymore. I would order a grande soy latte, sometimes with vanilla, like a vanilla soy latte with an extra shot of espresso and a pumpkin loaf. And sometimes I would have their little yogurt with the fruit thing. <laughs> and this is what I would do almost every single day because I had no office. I had no place else to go. And although I was living this very yoga-centered lifestyle and I was sort of in between veganism then, I had been vegan for a few years, but I had transitioned to vegetarian where I ate some dairy and stuff. And I would, I think, a year later or half a year later transition back to being fully vegan again. But I was not very anchored in the world of herbalism or natural medicine. 
the way you might assume that a lot of people who are very into yoga would be. Of course, holistic healing and natural medicine, it ties very well in with the yoga lifestyle. And I think back at that time, or at least a couple of years into that, as I deepened my practice, I really wanted to believe in the world of herbs. I really wanted to believe in the world of natural healing. It sounded like this thing that should be true, right? Like it sounds amazing that we can heal through nature. It sounds amazing that we can heal without pharmaceuticals. It sounded like this wonderful idea, but I had never had a true experience of healing something within myself or supporting someone else in their healing through the world of herbalism, through the world of herbs and plant medicine. I had never fully witnessed and experienced that. So although I believed in the idea, I used some herbal medicine sometimes, but if it got to a place where I had an ailment and it was pretty bad, I would submit and I would go to the pharmacy and I would get like an ibuprofen or a Tylenol or, and I wouldn't brag about it. You know, I think I would kind of say like, no, I don't use that stuff because I didn't want to use it. But if I had a really bad headache, I would go and get the ibuprofen. If I had a terrible cold or if I was, I had a crazy cough or something like that, I would go and get some over the counter something. So the idea of Herbal medicine was always really nice, but I wasn't integrated into anything the way I am today. And we are going to talk about herbalism today, which I'm so excited about. I feel it's a beautiful time for me to talk about this on the show here because we are entering the colder months. We are all interested in how we can really support our immune system as flu season comes our way. And I do flu season with little air quotes because I don't believe we actually need to have something called flu season if we support our bodies in a really great way. And um, I just feel so passionate and so excited about the world of herbalism. It really does remind me of my first years of finding yoga. I mean, truly, I, I can so remember those first, I mean, especially those first, first years where I was kind of opening the door to the world of this practice. And every time I stepped on the mat, I had a revelation. I had this big thing come my way or I felt better in my body, less pain, more strength, more flexibility. I wanted to tell the whole world about this practice. I was just over the moon. And that is how I feel about herbalism now. You know, yoga became something that would stick with me for the rest of my life. I'm still and will always be very anchored in the world of yoga. But my eyes don't sparkle anymore when I talk about why yoga is great. Um, and it's been a couple of years since I I I didn't lose the my own passion for the for the for the practice, but I lost my passion in terms of in terms of yoga having become my day to day work. I think I just burnt out um, teaching so much and doing so much so intensely for so many years. I just I just lost that little spark, right? And I can so see the similarity just between the spark I'm feeling now about herbalism, very similar to the spark I felt for so many years about, about the practice of yoga. And similarly to how the yoga practice is a part of my day-to-day -day and part of my life and always, always will be, just this integrated thing I return to always. I know in my bones that herbalism is the same, you know, and who knows if I in 10 years will feel that same spark as I'm feeling now. Um, who knows? But I, uh, I definitely feel like a child on Christmas just getting to talk to you about herbs today on the show. 
I uh, have taken some questions from you just through Instagram. I've written down a bunch. We'll see how many I get through. And I want to start off by saying that I absolutely consider myself an amateur <laughs> in the world of herbs. Uh, maybe not amateur in that, like I have no idea what I'm doing, but I, I would not, I'm not at a place yet where I would call myself an herbalist. And I want to get there. I really do. It took me a while. I mean, same thing when I started teaching yoga. It took me a while to feel confident enough to step out into the world. And when someone asked, so what do you do for a living? To say, well, I'm a yoga teacher. And I haven't arrived at that place for myself yet as that integrated way of stepping into uh, supporting other people with the world of herbs, I might say. Because as an herbalist, you know, that's really what you do is you provide healing medicine for other people. And I'm doing that for family and for friends. And it's kind of expanding a little bit exactly how I started teaching yoga. I taught, taught my first yoga classes just to friends, just to people I knew, people I felt safe with. And I was like, oh, I'm just sharing this thing that I love. It's not like I'm teaching yoga. I'm just like telling people what to do, you know, how I get into the poses. <laughs> and then I would teach someone at this job I had, and then I would teach over there. And then I was like, okay, well, I guess I could just like invite other people to join. No big deal. That is exactly <laughs> where I'm at on my journey of, of herbalism right now, where I am making medicine and supporting family and friends. And it's starting to expand beyond. We had an acquaintance here the other day, just a friend of a friend, who casually mentioned that they suffer from insomnia and just don't haven't slept well most of their lives. And I was like, oh, I can help you with that. <laughs> and they were like, what? Oh, what do you mean? I'm like, yeah, I can absolutely help you. Let me make you a blend. And I was so excited to just step into my apothecary and take a moment to tune into their needs and where they were at in their life and how are they feeling and where is this lack of sleep coming from and and then make them just a little blend for for infusions. And uh, I feel so happy to be here in this place now. A couple of years ago, I was just sort of dabbling in this. And now it really is, yeah, it's become the center of my life. Maybe I should start calling myself an herbalist. Maybe maybe in a couple of months. Let, we'll, we'll see. Anyway, so for today's show, I'm going to answer just some more of the, some of the more basic questions that I've gotten about about herbalism, like how to begin and some great things to keep at your house and how do you correctly identify stuff when you're out foraging and what herbs to grow. And if anything comes up in terms of your own healing, where you feel like, okay, I'm really searching for a natural remedy for some herb that can support me in this one phase of my life or in this ailment that I'm dealing with or this thing I need support around. Uh, obviously, nothing that I'm sharing here is medical advice. I have to I have to share that. Obviously, obviously. And when it comes to our healing our own illnesses, you know, we are our own utmost authority. So what I'm saying is just because you listen to a podcast and you hear someone say, oh, this and this thing worked great for me. For instance, I have worked with a couple of herbs to support me with my sleep. Like that's a great, great example. Just because they work for me in the way that I'm using them doesn't mean that it's like a blanket statement that every single person, regardless of lifestyle or what other medication they're on or what supplements they're taking, how they're living, that they can all just use the exact same combination of herbs and have the exact same result. That is not how herbalism works. It's not how the herbs work. The 
most the coolest part for me about herbal healing is that the herbs will work on the whole body. Whereas a pharmaceutical is designed and created to attack and to deal with a specific symptom of something, right? Pharmaceuticals do not address the root cause of why we're feeling the way we're feeling. We can go and grab a Tylenol for our headache, but that Tylenol is just masking the symptom of that headache, just masking that pain. So we get relief, which could be really important, of course, but it's not in any way addressing the real reason why you have those headaches, And that is where herbalism is so amazing and so cool. And the world of plants can support us in such, a, in such a deep way. Because herbs will actually address the root cause of what we have going on. They will support the whole body. And it's really complex. It really is. There's no such thing as like a blanket herb that works for, for the same thing in everyone, right? There's even some opposing herbs or a lot of opposing herbs where they sometimes can have opposing qualities and they can be used for multiple different things and will act react to different things in your body depending on how you combine them or depending on what you need or depending on the state of your own health. So an example of that is I got a question, great question yesterday. So a couple days ago, I had a really bad night with a baby, terrible, didn't sleep at all. And I get up in the morning and I'm like, okay, I need for my herbal tea this morning, I need something to just pick me up. I need something to wake me up. And I drank some lemon verbena, which is something that we have an abundance of at the house. I grew so much of it this year. And lemon verbena for me is a flavor and a scent. It's that lemony zing of like, it can really wake me up. It can really alert me. Bring a, bring a sense of alert alertness to me in my body in the morning. I love a lemon verbena in the morning, especially in combination with other with other herbs that kind of bring me up. But a lemon verbena is actually a really good tea for sleep. So it's something that I might include in a, in a in an herb combination that I would use for my own sleep as well. But when I combine it with other herbs, it's that flavor and the zing of the lemon actually elevates me a little bit. So as we go deeper and deeper into the world of herbs, what's important is recognizing how we react to what we are connecting with. When you drink this infusion, how do you feel? If you drink it in the morning, what's that like versus drinking it in the evening? If you combine it with these things, how does that resonate versus combining it with this? So as we dive into this, to this world, the most important thing is that we deeply connect With the herbs that we're working with. That we don't just go on Google and we go, okay, well, I heard someone talk about lemon verbena. Let's Google that and let me just start taking that tincture three times a day or drinking that tea every single day. If we don't feel a deep connection, if we don't feel a deeper understanding as to why our body wants that. Because I really think that when we start to open up to the world of herbs, we're going to be able to not only feel which herb is applicable for us when, but we're going to start entering into relationship and entering into conversation with these plants as our friends, as kin, as allies. And when we're in relationship with them, it's a two-way street and we'll be able to discover this vast world of healing that's available to us right now for really cheap in a way that you can be in charge of, in a way where you can be in charge of your own healing and your own health. It truly is the 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 coolest thing. I mean, okay, I'm going to stop <laughs> raving about herbalism. You're here, you're listening to this show, so I'm guessing you're really interested. 
Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bolin Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bolin Branch's sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee, plus 15% off your first order at bolinbranch.com code odyssey. Exclusions apply. See site for details. So for me, over the past couple of years, it was truly the the years leading up to the pandemic, where I was really, really ill and really sick, was the time I started delving deeper into the world of of, of herbalism and, and and natural healing in that sense, where I was working with different functional medicine doctors. They would prescribe me different herbs and different things, and I would just take them. I wouldn't do that much research around why am I taking this specific one? How is this working with my body? I would just kind of trust them because I was so ill and so sick all the time. At the same time, as I was doing that, I would all of a sudden take a turn for the worse and I would get really, really, really sick. This is 2019 where I was sick pretty much the whole year. And if I had a big commitment of some sort, like I had a teacher training or I had a trip or something I had to be really ready for. I would completely abandon the world of natural medicine and I would head to the doctor and I would go help me and they would every single time prescribe me with antibiotics and give me a shot of cortisol, <laughs> which I can laugh at now because probably those many rounds of antibiotics that didn't do anything for the reason I was ill, it was it at all, it was just pointless, pointless over prescriptions of antibiotics that I would take because I was desperate is one of the reasons I got so very ill in the end. I had a just my gut, my microbiome, my stomach was just completely destroyed by all of these antibiotics. And my whole my whole body truly was. And I did that for a while, kind of going down that path, a little bit similar to how I would a little bit similar to, say, if I had a headache, I might use some essential oil or some eucalyptus or something to kind of ease that headache. But if it didn't ease quickly enough or if the headache got bad, I would go for the Tylenol, right? Similarly, that was how I was dealing with these illnesses that I dealt with in 2019. If I could manage it naturally a little bit, kind of, sort of, without doing any research or really feeling into it at all, I would. And then as soon as it got worse or bad, I would just, okay, let's go. And I went for the for the pharmaceuticals, right, which didn't help me at all. And then come 2020 came the pandemic, right? And then 2021, we found out that we had been living with toxic mold, which was the reason I was so sick all the time. Not anything at all that antibiotics or a shot of cortisol can fix in any way. And it was just the source of so many of our illnesses. And there, with that, realizing that I had to purge everything in my life that was toxic, that I had to get rid of not just the mold in my house, but literally the, the relationships in my life that didn't work, the habits that I had in my life that didn't work, the go-to things that I would use to soothe myself when I wasn't feeling well that didn't work, the reliance I had on a medical system that truly, truth be told, for the majority of my whole entire life has continued to fail me. And when I started going down that path of real healing, it was 1000% the world of herbs that helped me get to a place of healing. 
the allopathic system did nothing but make me worse for so many years. And if it wasn't for the world of the herbs, I would not be here feeling the way I'm feeling today. So that really was my big sort of opener into, whoa, if I do it the right way, if I really tune into my body and I actually listen and I actually research and I actually learn, there's a healing path here that is much bigger than the path of that traditional medical system. Whereas if I take some ibuprofen, yeah, my headache might go away within 15 minutes or really quickly. But if I don't address that root cause, I'm going to get that headache again tomorrow or next week. And going down the world of herbs, I got to maybe not get that 15-minute quick fix that pharmaceuticals can offer, but I got to go to the source and the root of why I was getting those headaches in the very first place and address those. And that is what plant medicine does. So when we moved from Aruba and ended up going back to Sweden, it was my very first biggest aha moment was stepping out into the forest in Sweden in my own ancestral lands and just looking around and realizing that there's medicine everywhere. I would take these little walks. We were going through a really hard time, of course, transitioning between countries and losing, thinking we were losing our house, losing all of our belongings, being really sick. I mean, it was a whole mess. You remember if you listen to the show. But I would take these walks through the woods. This was early spring. We came to Sweden, Leia and I, just for the first time before we moved. And realizing medicine is everywhere. Truly, truly, truly everywhere I look, I'm stepping over yet another medicinal plant. I'm stepping over yet another herb that has a healing quality that has been used and proven to work for centuries, some of them for millennia. And thus began my real path toward herbalism, my real path in terms of foraging for my own herbs, in terms of learning deeply about herbs and how they can actually help and support my healing in my day-to-day, forming relationships with these plants that I never had in my life before, learning how to process the herbs that I'm foraging and growing also eventually, how to preserve them, how to make medicine out of them, and then how to apply them when I need them and in my my daily life. So the years of living in Sweden really have been for me this reintegration into what I feel I've always known in my bones, and that is the plant world is here to heal us. And when someone asks me, okay, so how do I get started? They'll ask, how did you get started? How did you learn? What course did you take? So I'm in the middle of a course now, like a six-month certifica- certification-centered course around to, to, to become an herbalist, to be able to say I'm an herbalist. But that was not at all the beginning of this journey for me. You know, this has been so many years in the making. And it started with those walks I was taking in the woods. It started with recognizing what plants already grow in my proximity, where I live, what plants am I overlooking as I'm outside every day? What plants are right around the corner from me or right outside my doorstep or right in my garden that have medicinal medicinal qualities? And what herbs might I already be working with in my daily life without actually making the conscious connection that yes, this is healing? Because you are ingesting and drinking and taking in so many herbs in your day. I mean, just look at your kitchen cabinet, like your spice cabinet, as an example. 
your spice cabinet as is right now without you having to go to a fancy website to look up, you know, so-and-so organic or wild foraged herbs to heal and cure XYZ. Open your spice cabinet and you have an array of healing herbs right there, truly, truly right, available right in front of you. You probably have time in your kitchen. You have time do you have time on your hands? You have time as a kitchen herb, as a cooking herb. Most of us do. I use it for stews and soups and all of the things. Thyme is one of the most healing herbs that you can use whenever you have a cough or a sore throat. A thyme tea, literally, and that it can be that kind of crappy quality, non-organic, not super great, maybe kind of old thyme that you have in your spice rack. Cover that with some really hot water, let it steep and become a strong, strong, strong infusion and sip on that. Mix a little bit of honey into it and sip on that when you have a cough and you're going to notice a difference. And it's so amazing because imagine that, and I've done that so many times, like just use what I had on hand, but imagine that kind of old, kind of not great, not sourced in a great way. Maybe it's been on the shelf for a year or two even. It's dried. It's not fresh. There's medicinal qualities in that time that you have in your spice rack. Imagine then time maybe grown in your own garden that you're using fresh, time that's organic or time that's processed or combined with other herbs to become something truly healing with a specific healing purpose. I mean, it's so amazing as we start to sort of peel back the layers of of, of specific herbs. But so much of this you already are eating and working with and you already have at home. So the way to begin, I would anyway, is take a moment to sit down and notice and connect with a plant that is already asking for your presence. So a plant that perhaps you are thinking about a lot, you find them popping up in your mind, a plant that maybe you are drinking every day, you know, maybe it's a specific plant. Maybe there's an herb that you're drinking in your herbal tea and you, it's just your go-to. Like maybe you drink a cup of peppermint tea every day after dinner and that's just something you do and you've done it forever without thinking too much about or contemplating too deeply what that peppermint actually does for you, what it represents, how it feels, what are the qualities of that peppermint? Where is it grown? What does it need? What is it asking of you? What can it offer you in return? There's a whole relationship there to be uncovered in that peppermint tea that you might already be drinking every day. So beginning by forming a conscious relationship with one plant friend. This is how I tell anyone who asks me, how do I begin? You know, tell me 20 herbs to start learning about. And I go, no, just slow down. Start with one single plant. And I would start with a plant, either one that you really feel is calling for your attention. Maybe, you know, one comes to you in a dream or you keep stumbling over it every time you go for a walk with your dog. Sometimes a plant will sort of enter our lives and they're kind of knocking on the door like, hey, you're ready for me. You need me right now. Like, let me in. And it could also be a plant that you just already have a connection with, but you want to deepen that connection. So starting with one is the most the simplest way and really the way we should go about herbalism, I think. In this course that I'm doing now, so Rosemary Gladstar is one of the teachers of the course. I super recommend her books. She's amazing. I consider her a really important teacher of mine. And uh, she will say, just start with one. It's better to know three 
herbs and you know them deeply, like really, really, really deeply, you know them in and out, than knowing 30 herbs that you can sort of apply on a surface level. And once you start opening up to the qualities of one single plant friend, you are going to be blown away by how much time, how much depth there is to that one single plant, how much time you can spend just to uncover their qualities and who they are and what kind of role they could serve in your life. And doing that, when we start to actually connect with the plant world in this way, it brings life into the relationship that we have with nature in and of itself. We stop looking at nature as objects, you know, like that tree or that flower or that plant over there. And we realize that everything in nature actually is very much alive. Everything in nature has its own presence. And there's absolutely a way to communicate with nature and to the different manifestations of nature, which will all greet us in different ways, which will all feel different. You know, there's a different quality to an oak tree versus a maple tree. Like go and talk to those trees and you'll know right away. Go sit beneath each of those trees and you'll know right away. And I just think this is a really beautiful way to approach herbalism in the first place with respect and with integrity and starting by forming that humble relationship, just one plant at a time. So that's my best tip for just how to get started. Start with one single herb. When you start, you know, when you pick those herbs or that first herb to connect with, of course, you want to make sure that this is an herb that is safe to ingest. <laughs> I think this goes without saying, but that we start with herbs, maybe that feel kind of common. You know, I would start with something that I can source at the grocery store pretty easy. Something that I really know, okay, there is no version of this that isn't 100% safe. I can't overdo it with this plant. Like this really is like a simple way to begin. So say you start with that peppermint, for instance, or you start with a chamomile, or you start with a rose, or you do enough research into the plant that you're beginning that relationship with that you truly know without a doubt that yes, this is, and I don't want to say non, non-toxic because a lot of herbs can be healing in smaller quantities and then can become less healing the more we ingest them. And then of course, some plants are outright poisonous and we should not ingest or connect with in that way at all. But starting with something more common, I just think it makes, makes more sense, Okay. And then another thing I really like to recommend as we're getting started is when you're outside connecting with nature, which I assume you're already doing because you're interested in the world of herbalism, so you're already out there, you're already connected with nature, bring a little notebook. Don't use your phone. It's so easy to do this on our phone. If you forget your notebook or if you don't you know, have one when you're out there, sure, use your phone. But it's so nice to do this with a notebook and a pen. Have a little notebook, like a little pocket notebook that you just have with you whenever you go for your walk with your dog or your walk on your own. And keep your eyes really open just as you're walking and notice which plants that you can see around you that you actually recognize. Which plants do you know? And there's going to be plants that you pass by that you just know, like you have a relationship with this plant. Like you know that that is an oak tree. Why do you, how do you know that's an oak tree? Who taught you that? When did you first hear the word oak? Like, what does that oak tree represent to you? And they might pass another tree. It's like, oh, I don't know that tree. Interesting. Like that's so, whenever I come across a plant, a bush, a tree, anything in nature, and I'm like, I don't know you. And that happens all the time. Like, obviously there's 
So it's infinite amounts, in infinite, infinite variations of this manifestation of nature, right? And whenever I come across something and I'm like, I don't know you, that's so fascinating. Hi. And I'll approach, say it's a tree and I, I don't, I can't place that tree. Like, oh, I might approach the trunk. I might take a moment to really look, look the tree up and down and see if I can connect with the roots, make, place my hands on the trunk of the tree. I might hug the tree. I do that a lot. I might ask permission to grab a leaf off of the tree to take with me home and just kind of study that leaf for a little bit and take a moment there to connect with what any feeling that might come up inside of me as I connect with this tree. Like if this tree was a person, what kind of what kind of a person would they be? Imagine this tree has a personality, which I really believe trees do. What is that personality? Is this a dynamic, you know, extroverted, out there kind of a person? Or is this like a shy, quiet, gentle spirit? And I'm doing this on my own, right? Obviously, there's no moment where the tree kind of opens its eyes and goes and like, hey, how are you? You know, although I often get that feeling. I often get that energetic greeting of like, oh, hi. I say hi and the tree will greet me in return. So when you have your eyes open in this way, just to notice what plants do you already recognize? Do you know them by name? What's your history with them? And then what are plants that feel totally new? And you can do this in a more structured way where next time you go for a walk, find five plants that you know and just write them down, you know, five, one, two, three, four, five, and then find five plants that you don't know. And maybe those five plant friends you want to take a picture of if you have your phone, you want to bring a little leaf home, you want to take a moment to connect deeper with them or make a sketch or a drawing of that plant or that tree. And then when you come home, spend some time researching that plant. And I have a moment like this at least every single day where I come across a plant and I'm like, I don't really, I, I feel like I want to get to know you a little bit better. Let me see if I can find an example of that. So we have something called a love vine here, which is a really beautiful bush that flowers for a really short amount of time. I don't have a relationship with this plant at all. I have no idea how it's medicinal. I'm at a place in my life where I assume that everything is medicinal because when I start to look at nature that way, like everything is medicine, it actually usually affirms as truth, like everything is medicine. Not all medicine is meant to be ground up into herbs and had as a tea or made into a tincture. Some medicine is medicine we meditate with or medicine that we sit nearby or medicine that we connect with through beauty or through sound. Everything is medicinal in a certain way. doesn't mean we should be eating every single thing though, right? So yeah, so connect with the plants that you know and then start to get really curious about the plants that you don't know. And whenever you come across something that is pulling at you a little bit more, research that specific plant and go as deep as you can. I'll go down a rabbit hole with a plant and I usually have kind of like a plant of the year in a way. Last year, definitely my plant of the year was yarrow. I, 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 I don't even know how much yarrow I drank and ate. <laughs> yarrow was everywhere in my life. And it became really like a, like a, like a, like a friend. I would have a hard day. I would go through something really challenging and all of a sudden Yarrow would appear. As an example, we found out that Dennis's sister had cancer, had terminal cancer. And, uh, I was for the first time we went to visit his family in Holland after finding out and after knowing everything. 
And I traveled there alone with Leia. Dennis was already there. And uh, I, I was walking from the train station to their house. And I was so sad, like so feeling so overwhelmed. Everything was so dark, so heavy. I felt so nervous to step into the house, like even just greeting everyone after having received these horrible news. And I started to cry just walking from the from the train station. And then I looked down and Yarrow was there. And of course, like Yarrow grows in a lot of places, but it's just for me, Yarrow last year appeared in the most crucial moments all the time. So this year, less Yarrow. This year, I have not had that relationship with Yarrow at all. But I find that the more you connect with a specific plant, the deeper you're going to get to know them and the more they can become a guardian for you in your life. And that doesn't work if it's like, oh, I'm going to learn 100 herbs now and how to apply them. No, then you'll have 100 very superficial relationships. Better to have one best friend, right, than to have 10 acquaintances or two best friends, or three great friends than to have a hundred people at a party that you don't even really care that much about or know that deeply, right? So keep your eyes open, start with a few herbs, get curious when you're outside. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Someone is asking just how do you identify an herb that you are unsure about? This is a super great question. So if I'm ever unsure of what an herb is, of course, there's great apps for this now. Even the the iPhone camera, this is so trippy that, that Apple does this. There's a function in the iPhone camera. If you just take a regular photo on your iPhone, if you have an iPhone of a plant, and you press on the picture in a certain way, it will, like a plant identification part will come up and it will tell you what kind of plant it is. Now, do I believe we should completely rely on technology in terms of the, you know, the world of plants and what is safe and what is what? No, no, you need to go much deeper than that. But it's a good place to start. So I use a plant app called Picture This. There's a bunch of them out there. I'm sure there's better ones. This is just the one I've used. So I'm familiar with it and I like it. It's a good place to start, right? So if there's something I have no idea what it is, I've never seen it before. Hmm, who are you? I might go to that app if I have my phone on me and I'll try that a couple of times. Because sometimes you take a plant, you take a picture of a leaf and then you take a picture of a different leaf or, you know, a different angle of the same plant and that app might tell you it's a different plant. So that shows you just the unreliability of these apps, although they are often accurate. So I'll take that and then I'll go and do my research from that place. So say the app tells me it's so-and-so, I give it two or three tries with that app, I get the same res result every time. Then I'll go home to one of my plant identification books and the internet and I'll spend some time researching this plant, making sure just that the plant characteristics of what I'm finding in my books and what I'm finding online is the same as the plant that I'm actually holding in my hand. And plant identification is a whole world. I mean, the world of botany is a whole 
it's a whole science. Literally, you can have a double master's degree in this kind of stuff. It's a big thing. So don't, I want to be careful how I, how I word this. I would not put something in a cup or on a plate for me to eat, especially never for anyone else to eat, if I wasn't 100,000 million percent certain that I knew what it was. I mean, and I say 100,000 million percent, really, truly, because there are a couple of things. It's not, of course, not super common that you poison yourself when you're out foraging. I, I wouldn't say common, but of course it happens. Um, look at the world of mushrooms, like how careful you know you have to. I mean, we've kind of been taught that when we, at least if you come from a mushroom picking culture, <laughs> the way I do, we've been taught, you know, how important it is that we truly identify each mushroom correctly because there's mushrooms out there that will make you vomit there are mushrooms there that give you a tummy ache there are mushrooms there that could if you eat enough kill you and same goes for the whole plant world so just be a thousand percent sure before you put it on a plate or in a cup or in a tincture or however you're eating it so yeah so going about that a couple a couple different ways right so say an app the internet and a book. And if all those three things are affirming to you and you can look at that plant and really identify the characteristics of the makeup of the plant, then you should be good to go. Someone asked, how do you know what is best to forage in each season as the seasons change? And that's a super good question because you might think that if you know a plant is a medicinal plant that you want to forage for or you want to grow and pick and harvest and make medicine out of that, that you can just grow that and then any time of the year you just pick it, right? And you can, I mean, say, let's use something as an example. Let's use dandelion as an example. Great herb, dandelion, amazing. So cleansing for the body. It's a great detoxifier, really good for the liver. It's also a bitter, so it's really good for your digestion, so in herbalism or just overall the parts of the dandelion that we normally use is definitely the root. I think the root is the most important part of the dandelion. The leaves, the flower heads. Technically, I have heard of people using the stalks for different things. I've just never really seen the stalks used or used the stalks for anything myself. But the whole plant is edible. And uh, every part of the plant we harvest at its optimal stage at a different time of year. So the leaves are, we always want to harvest, and this goes for most green leaves. Say you want to harvest nettle, you want to harvest dandelion, you want to harvest red raspberry leaf, like all the little leaves have the most nutrition and the most medicinal qualities in them in the spring when they're kind of new. Those fresh little new offshoots of leaves have they're, they're vibrantly green. You can tell looking at them. They're just vibrantly green and really alive. They're full of life. It's like they're soaking up the sunlight. Those are the ones we want to pick when we're foraging specifically for that part of the plant. And you can compare like a fresh new dandelion leaf with one that is kind of old. It's a little bit duller in color. It's a, it starts to get a little bit more brown. You can tell that the nutritional quality is different from, from even though it's the same part of the same plant. So those leaves we, we forage for and harvest in the springtime. And then the flower heads, I love using them to make tea. I love using them to make a honey. It's one of my favorite things I do all year. Dandelion syrup or dandelion honey. The flavor of a dandelion honey 
doesn't come close to anything else. It's remarkable. It's amazing. Something that's just so wonderful to have at home. The flower heads we want to harvest at their peak. So usually that's a little bit later in the season. And we want to harvest them in the morning when the flowers have just sort of started blooming and they're opening up their little leaves to the sun and they're saying hi. We want to harvest on a dry day, ideally, so that we don't bring wet plants inside. And when it comes to the roots, we actually wait to harvest the root of the dandelion. And for most things, when we harvest the roots, we wait for fall. And that is because the plant at the end of the summer season will start to draw all of its properties, all of its energy goes down into the root to preserve itself for wintertime. So you see the maximum qualities, the maximum medicinal qualities of the actual root of the plant is later in the season. So come fall. So now actually is a really good time to harvest and forage for dandelion roots if you want to use dandelion roots. For instance, my favorite way to make it is to make dandelion coffee. You harvest the roots, you wash them off a little bit or just kind of brush the dirt off. Dry them really well. And this goes really well into the next question I wanted to answer, which was how do you go about drying your herbs? Because this I think is the one of the most basic things that we want to know how to do well if we want to start foraging or growing and harvesting our own herbs. And that is just to dry them. You can do so many things with an herb, obviously, once you've taken it home or once you've taken it inside. But for me, the simplest thing to ensure that it's going to last for a long time and also a way for me to ensure that I don't have to figure everything out about the plant right away. Because the moment you've harvested something, you got to deal with it right away. Whatever it is you're harvesting, you can't just leave it out on the kitchen counter and like, oh, I'll do that tomorrow. It's like, no, you want to preserve your plants in its freshest state. You want to deal with that right away. So if you are cooking something out of that, you should do that in that moment. If you want to can that herb or that vegetable or whatever it is, you want to do that in that moment or very soon before the fruit or the vegetable or the herb starts to turn and go bad. Uh, if you want to tincture it, you should do it. I mean, However you want to do it, you kind of need to deal with it soon. And a great way to preserve every part of the plant and allow you some time to deal with it a little bit later when you have more time on your hands is to just right away dry the herb. And so dandelion root, for example, since roots take a little bit longer to dry, obviously they're thicker and more dense than a leaf. I would use the dehydrator to dry roots on a really low setting. So I use the lowest, lowest setting. It's 35 degrees Celsius on my dehydrator, but basically a little bit below body temperature to preserve the maximum amount of the nutrients in the plant. And then I have that going until I am 1000% sure that the dandelion root is dry. And when it comes to roots, it's pretty easy to tell because the roots should snap really easily. You should be able to grind that dried root with a pestle and mortar into a really fine powder. One of the big mistakes that people make when they start to forage and harvest herbs to preserve at home is that they put them in a container or put them away before they are 100% dry. And guess what happens when you do that? It's going to mold <laughs> immediately. And this was a question I got. Do I worry about mold when it comes to preserving herbs. Never. I never, ever, ever worry about mold because I make sure I dry everything 1000% before I put it away in its jar or in its place. 
So for a root, you should be able to really kind of snap that root in half and grind it into a powder. Then you know it's completely, completely dry. And if you're unsure, just give it a couple more days, right? That's okay. I mean, I'd rather dry something for too long because nothing bad is really going to happen to it versus putting it away uh, or putting it in a, in a jar or something like that too soon and risk it molding. And then you ruin, you know, you lose the whole batch. So the best way to dry, if you have a dehydrator, that's great. You don't have to have a dehydrator at all, but certain things do better in the dehydrator, I think, like a root, anything thicker and denser. Say I was drying like a a whole big flower head, for instance, something that has more moisture in it, I would do better in a dehydrator. Uh, I'm, I have my dehydrator full of apple rings right now. If you're dehydrating or wanting to dry fruits or vegetables, a dehydrator is awesome because it just speeds the process up. You can pack a lot into it. But you can also use the oven on the lowest heat setting that you have available. And you put a little wooden spatula or a wooden spoon in the opening of the oven so it stays a little bit open and you have more airflow and less heat inside. And then you kind of have to let that oven run. I mean, depending on what you're drying, but it could be a good like 15, 20, 24, maybe more. Long time anyway. But the simplest way, the absolute, I think, simplest, simplest, easiest way to dry an herb is to bundle the herb and hang it upside down to dry. There's no simpler thing. So say whatever herb you're for, say you're foraging for stinging nettle, you simply, you bring a scissor, you ask permission from the plant before you harvest. And this is really important. It, I, I do it in my own garden, even if I've grown the herb myself, if I've grown it from seed, if it's really something I would consider, you know, this plant wouldn't be here if I didn't support the plant's conception here. Or if it's a plant I'm finding in the wild, I still always, always, always ask permission. And Asking permission, it doesn't have to be like, hi, can I forage you? Although sometimes, <laughs> sometimes I will ask that. Like, is it okay if I take this? Is it okay? <laughs> um, but it could be something as simple as putting your hand on the earth by the plant or holding one of the leaves in your hands and just taking a little breath, just feeling into the energy of that, of that plant. Asking permission from, you know, from your spirit, from your heart. And when we forage, when we wild forage, obviously, so if you've grown something in your garden, you can harvest all of it. It's up to you because you're the one that's going to have to regrow and reseed everything the next season, right? But out in the wild, we don't take every single thing of something, right? So say you find a little patch and maybe it's a stinging nettle patch and stinging nettle is usually fairly prevalent. It's not something that's near, you know, being endangered or anything like that, but it doesn't really matter because the plants are not just for us. The plants are there for the for the world. The plants are there for everything in nature. And most things that we want to forage for, because it has highly nutritious and medicinal qualities, the animals want them too, right? And everything that flowers, for every single flower out there in the world, there is a bee, there is a pollinator looking for it. So when we come across something, like yesterday I was walking the baby, I found this beautiful, beautiful rose bush filled with rose hips. It's gorgeous. And there's a lot of them. It's not like, I mean, they're very common here. It's not, it's not rare by any chance, but every bush is a little bit different. It's not the same exact kind of rose, every single bush. And different animals have a different preference always for different things when it comes to what they want to eat at, and when and uh, when it's time for them to eat from that certain thing. 
So even though I technically could clean that whole rose bush out and just take every single rose hip and I could go home with a whole big basket full of just rose hip, whoa, I can make rose hip soup, which is something we eat in Sweden, like crazy, very traditional. I can make rose hip powder. Rose hip has crazy amounts of vitamin C. It's one of those super, super, super things to forage for in the fall and flu season. I could have gone home with this bounty, right? But I don't. I take, say if I'm really out there and I'm looking for rose hip and I'm purposefully out there looking for, I might take 20-30% of an area if I find something. And that's max, like by far. Oftentimes I won't even have to do that. If I know there's a lot of rose bushes in the area, I might just take like five or 10 from this bush and then I go to the next one and I take a couple there and I go to the next one and I take a couple there. So I spread my foraging out. We don't want to ever take everything. We don't want to be greedy. We don't want to harm the plant. And we want to leave as much as we can behind for the animals and for the pollinators and for everything else that's also looking for the same medicine as we are. Is your child struggling with a specific subject or need help with homework? Are they asking questions that you're not sure you can fully answer? IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids. It covers math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed. This program will improve your kids' grades. Studies done in almost every state in the country. The kids who had IXL are consistently doing better. Powered by advanced algorithms, IXL gives the right help to each kid no matter the age or personality. And it doesn't have to eat up all your time. One subscription gets you everything for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. So don't miss out. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com audio. Visit IXL.com audio to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. But yes, so I was talking about stinging nettle. <laughs> Sorry, I, I, I get excited and I, we have a lot of threads going here at the same time. So how I would harvest stinging nettle is I would bring my scissor, I would ask permission, I would kind of bundle the stinging nettle so I have it together, and then I would cut it all in the same place. Uh, so it's the same length and the same height from that area that I'm foraging from. And then when you come home, you just divide it up into little bundles. You, you know, the smaller the bundle is, the faster it will dry. The bigger the bundle is, the slower it will dry, and the bigger the risk for mold if it doesn't dry at all. So you don't want to have a massive pile of herb obviously but little bundles and then I have twine just natural twine I tie it around the stalks and then I hang it upside down in my little chandelier that I have in the dining room I hang them from the curtain rods I hang them everywhere there is a place for me to hang anything in this house there is a bundled herb hanging <laughs> truly I'm looking at one right now <laughs> we have bundled lavender technically our dining room is the herbal room, and we have bundled sage hanging there right now. I have chive blossoms, southern wood, lots of calendula, tons of lavender. Uh, I think we have parsley. What else have I? <laughs> I know I'm forgetting a bunch of stuff. But there is a, a bundled herb hanging everywhere. Something could be hung in my house. And it's also so beautiful. I really think it adds to the decor of the house. It's just makes it feel very, very homey and cozy. 
So let me use the sage as an example because I'm looking at it right at this moment. So the sage, it's bundled, hung upside down, and then it hung with twine, and then I just leave it alone. Every herb takes a different amount of time to dry. So some of them, like a lemon verbena, will dry in like three days, and it's crisp because the leaves are very, very, very thin. A sage has a much denser, much thicker leaf with more moisture, so they need more time. But say when I know it's 100% dry, I'll take a little leaf and I want it to crumble between my fingertips completely. So I feel no moisture. It's 1000% dry. I take them down. I grab a big tray and I have my jar or my vessel, however I'm collecting my, my herb or storing my herb. And some of them, you can literally just run your whole hand down the bundle and just pull it straight into the jar and it's done. Some plants, you might have to individually pick off leaves. Some plants, you might want to use a scissor and just cut it down. Some plants, you might want to store all as is, you know, just put the whole stalks and everything into a jar. When we preserve dried herbs, the more we can preserve them in their natural state, the more of the essential oils and the more of the qualities of the herb we're actually able to keep. So say you grind something down to a really, really, really fine powder, that's going to lose its color and its flavor and its scent faster than if you keep the whole leaf of something. An example of that is lovage. I Lovage is one of my favorite, favorite herbs. It sort of smells and tastes a little bit like a vegetable stalk. It has like a celery-like quality. It's amazing for cooking, but it's also... It used to be used for spells back in the day to attract your loved one. It used to be used to attract a partner. It's called lovage and it's so connected to romantic love. It's really beautiful. And it's also something that back in the day people would plant at the corner of their houses to ward off bad spirits. I just, I love a good story behind, behind a plant and the folklore behind a plant I find so fascinating. But so I have some lovage that I dried and then I ground, I ground it down with a pestle and mortar into a powder because I mix that with salt and I make lovage salt, which is so delicious. And, and then I have a whole other jar just with the whole plant dried and I just put the whole plant, the big leaves and everything in a big jar. And the jar I have with the ground lovage is completely pale. It's a totally different color compared to the whole leaf, even though they're harvested and foraged and dried at the same time. And it was just such a great experiment for me to see like, okay, here's why we don't want to over process an herb if we can, if we can help it. And a reason you might want to, so if you grind an herb down, it takes up way less space. If you don't have tons of cabinets or I have a whole apothecary like wall, basically, we have a lot of space in the house. So for me, it's okay. But if you're wanting to have a wide selection of herbs at home, grinding it down or making it into a finer, finer version of the leaf is going to save space. And you can use a smaller jar for the same amount of herb. So you might want to do that for that reason. But I would just make sure that you're using the herb before it loses its magic. And how can we know? This is another question. Like how, how long can we preserve herbs for when we've dried them? Like is there a time limit for certain things? And here is just where we use our better judgment. So a, a plant, an herb that is safe to eat is not going to become a plant that is all of a sudden toxic if you don't eat it right away. It's not going to be anything like that where it becomes dangerous or anything. What happens it it loses its potency. And especially if you're using an herb for a real specific medicinal reason, like you're targeting an ailment or an illness or a pain or something like that, 
you want it to have maximum potential, maximum benefits, right? And how can we know if an herb has lost its potency? Well, first of all, it will lose its scent, its smell. It will smell like a plant that's gone off or that's too old that we want to kind of maybe think about getting rid of. It's going to smell off. It's just going to smell dull. It's not going to have that fresh, vibrant, alive kind of scent anymore. The color is going to go, like you'll notice the color shift from a lot of green things might turn brown or yellow. And then the taste. So if it still tastes like the herb, it tastes like itself, it tastes good, it tastes fresh. And good obviously doesn't always mean sweet. An herb can taste good. It might be a bitter, it might be an astringent, it might be sour, it might be, yeah, it could be anything. But it should taste like itself, right? So when an herb is losing scent and color and flavor and also effect, that's a way to tell. Um, like when you are ingesting the plant, do you not feel an effect anymore? Then it could be that the plant has been sitting too long in a cabinet, right? And that's how you know. So that might be time to to just harvest again or source something fresher. Especially when it comes to herbs, most of the herbs that we use in the beginning of our herbalism, of our journey into herbalism are fairly inexpensive. Most herbs really are, especially those like kind of evergreen that we can use all year round and, you know, buying let me see what I have them. Yeah, buying peppermint in bulk, if you source it in a good place, it shouldn't cost that much. It's not like buying a very, you know, you might buy an advanced formulated tincture that has peppermint in it that might be very expensive, but buying just peppermint in bulk shouldn't be. So I would rather make sure I have fresh, potent herbs and hold on to herbs that might have been a little bit tired for a while sitting in that cabinet. But yeah, so that's how you dry, or that's how I dry my herbs anyway. Okay, so someone asked about my apothecary, and I thought this was a fun question to answer. So I have, I call it the little apothecary. It's my big cabinet of herbs, it's like my, my, my little medicine cabinet. And um, how do I choose what herbs I want in there? So it's really extensive by now. It's fairly big. I have sourced a lot of herbs from a lot of places. Last year, the majority of all the herbs that I had in my apothecary, I had either foraged for or grown and processed myself. This year, it's maybe 50-50, I would say. Like say 50% of the herbs I have, uh, I've harvested, maybe more, maybe it's 60% actually. Yeah, I've harvested in the garden or gone out to forage. And like 40, 50% I source online. And uh, the reason for that is I was pregnant and then I had a baby. <laughs> so less time to spend. And I've had some anxiety about that because I feel like there's a lot of, there's a lot of plants I've missed. I mean, really, I have almost missed elderberry season. I think about it every day, every day for the past two weeks. I've told Dennis, we got to go to the elderberry bush. We got to go to the elder tree. There's a big one. We have to drive there. It's a, But it's like where I normally forage for elderberries. And every day, because of the baby, we're like, okay, we'll go tomorrow. We'll go tomorrow. And now it's like, it's been two weeks. The birds might have eaten them all. And I have that moment with a different kind of herb pretty much every week. Like, I know now is the season for this. And now is the season for that. Yesterday, I was like, it's rosehip season. I will not miss this. And the baby slept in the stroller and I could forage for her rosehips, which made me so, so happy. But how I choose what I want to forage for really is by feeling, first of all. Like I always notice I feel drawn to something 
And then I might research that a little bit more. Okay, well, why am I feeling drawn to this thing right now? How could this be supportive for me? What could I use this in or in connection with other herbs? How can it help my family? Is this something that might be really good for Leia, you know, as she goes to school and she's going to be spending lots of time with lots of kids? I want her to be really healthy. And I, I just go by feeling essentially. And then there's usually a moment where I'm like, okay, I really want to source this specific herb. And if I can find it outside, I go looking for it outside. If I can swing it, that's really the baseline. I would never want to buy something that I can either grow or forage for myself. Like a great example of this is nettle, stinging nettle. Nettle is one of the herbs that I use probably the most. So there are certain herbs that are really good for targeting specific things. And then there are certain herbs that we call tonics. And a tonic is an herb that will strengthen the whole body. And it will kind of go in the body where it's most needed. And stinging nettle is a great example of that. Nettle is something you can drink every single day. You can drink it all year round. It's so good for us in so many different ways. It has tons of minerals and vitamins. And um, it's just one of my go-tos for so many things. It's been really helpful for my asthma also. But yeah, so stinging nettle is one of those things. And it's so abundant. You can find it at least here in Sweden and Northern Europe, and I know in the States, I mean, you can find it everywhere. It's so abundant and you can source a lot of it very easily. So it just, it would, it hurts me that this year I have been buying a lot of stinging nettle online because I didn't have time to go forage for stinging nettle. I think I was 30, <laughs> I don't know, million years, million weeks pregnant right at the peak of stinging nettle season, which is late spring when we want to forage those like fresh new shoots and everything, right? Even though you can still find nettle now, it's just they're not at their peak. So I've been sourcing that online and paying for it, right? So, and that there's just, if you can find it in your area and you can forage it responsibly, do it. You know, every time you go foraging for one single herb and you spend the time communicating with them and you learn about the earth, you learn about that plant, you learn about how to connect with that plant, when you bring it home, you learn how to process, how to preserve, how you can use it in so many different ways. And each step of that journey is such an important learning. Whereas clicking something online and then it arriving at your doorstep in a finished jar or bag, obviously, if it's been foraged or grown responsibly, it's still going to have beautiful medicinal qualities. And obviously, for many of us, we're going to have to go that route, but it's not the same right? The plant that you have grown yourself or foraged for yourself has a different energy to it than the plant that you just buy. And we know this for everything, right? The food we eat, I mean, we, we, we know this just goes for, for life. But so yeah, so I will just feel for what, I'm, what I feel like I need. And then sometimes I find a specific medicine I want to make. I wanted to make digestive bitters. This is a good example I wanted to make for a long time. I have had some digestive stuff since pregnancy or throughout pregnancy, actually, and after pregnancy where just my digestion, I think my all of my inner organs just coming back into place. We all know what it feels like. I mean, we all, all of us that have given birth know what it feels like. When our colon like rearranges itself inside of our body, it's such a weird time. And I really wanted to support my digestion in this optimal way. So I wanted to make a digestive bitter. And uh, so a di digestive bitter, you basically take bitter roots, bitter herbs, 
and other things that have different qualities to support the digestive system and also the liver. And you make a tincture with that. So a tincture is, we use a menstruum, which is, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? The, the, the agent that pulls the medicinal quality out of the herb. That's the menstruum. So the thing that we put the herbs in to actually get the medicine out of the plant. And an example of a menstruum can be hot water. Like hot water is great for a lot of herbs. Stinging nettle, for example, you just pour hot water on your nettle and you have your nettle tea. And the more nettle you use, the longer you let it infuse, the stronger the medicine is going to be. It's really straightforward, really simple, really easy, right? We all know how to brew herbal tea. It's really simple. But then there are certain things like roots, for example, where you need more power than just hot water. The hot water is not going to extract the qualities of the root as simply or as easily. You might have to chop that root down. You might have to make a decoction where you're actually simmering and boiling that root for a while and letting that sit for a long time. When we make tinctures, we traditionally take an alcohol, so like a 50 proof alcohol, and Oh, wait, how do do you say it in the States? So a 50% alcohol is 100 proof alcohol. So in Europe, we we call it something (laughs) different. We label alcohol by the percentage of alcohol. So like a traditional vodka is a 40% here. And a 40% vodka, we call 80 proof vodka, right? In the States. So a 50% vodka is 100 proof alcohol. Is that true? I'm Googling as I pod here. Yes. Oh, I was correct here. Okay, good. <laughs> Coming off as, a, as an alcohol enthusiast here. But yeah, that's exactly right. So yeah, in Europe, we call it by its percentage, but in the States, it's the double. Um, so a 40% vodka is an 80 proof vodka. So traditionally, we want to use like a 100 proof, but an 80 proof is also okay alcohol that we cover the herbs in and then we let it sit for six to eight weeks. I sometimes let it sit just a little bit longer because I'm sometimes bad at remembering to strain my (laughs) tinctures and you return to your tincture and you shake it every day. You just want everything to macerate well in there. And when I come to my tinctures, I might shake them, I might sing them a little song, I might pray a little bit, I might infuse them with the energy of that healing quality I want that tincture to have. Making tinctures is a beautiful way to bring about really potent medicine. It's not something I would start with if I was just beginning on the journey of herbalism. It really is uh, something that we do a little bit later on, I think. But so I wanted to make this digestive bitter which is using all these different kinds of digestive herbs and roots, covering it with that 100-proof alcohol. I use absolute vodka for most of mine. And I have lemon peel in there. What else do I have in there? I have um, cinnamon, gentiana. I have angelica. I have so many good things. Dandelion, obviously. Milk thistle seeds. Just a bunch of things. And then I, when I was researching what do I want to put in my digestive bitter, I came across star anise. It was like a kind of a common ingredient in a lot of bitters I could find online. I have never used star anise in anything other than like Christmas cooking, basically. Uh, and it's such a beautiful example of when we come across a kitchen herb, but it has a deeply medicinal quality. So I didn't have star anise. I, you know, 
didn't have, I'd never used it for medicine before. And it was a great opportunity for me to just research star anise a little bit more and then go online and order it because I didn't have it at home. So that's just an example of how I choose to add something new to my cabinet. Just like, oh, okay, this would make a great part of this medicinal blend. And then it arrived, uh, I ordered it online and it's here and it's now a part of my apothecary. And it's funny because once I start researching an herb, oftentimes it will just come up like left and right. I find it in different ways and I realize it's good for something else and not just digestion, but it's good over here. And every herb can be applicable in so many ways, which I find truly beautiful. So this is already a long podcast. As you can tell, I can talk about this forever. I'm going to answer one last question, which is my top herbs to keep at home for a beginner. So first of all, I would, if I were you and I was like, I want to start down this path and you were like, you want to start down on this path. I want to start sourcing some herbs to use for my own healing. I would take a moment to first connect with the most important thing that I want support with when it comes to my well-being right now. And you might have a million things. We all have things we want to optimize when it comes to our health. But really, what is the most important thing? What is the thing that really could use some nourishment? So say for you, it's sleep. Like for many of us, it's sleep. You really would want to find an herb that is beautifully supportive for your sleep. Take a moment there and begin from that area that you're looking to find support in and research herbs that are good in support of sleep. And what you come across, there's going to be one of those gazillion herbs because you're going to find many, many, many. There are so many nervines and herbs that are really good to help us go to sleep at the end of the day. There's going to be one herb there that you kind of know, right? There's going to be herbs that they might recommend you online that you've never heard of and don't go there. (laughs) An herb that you've never seen, don't go there. There's going to be an herb that you know of. You're going to find chamomile for sure. It's going to come up. Chamomile, which of course is very common. We all know chamomile, but it's going to be one of those that come up there. You're going to find maybe lavender is going to show up as well. You might find rose might come up. There might be, you know, some herb is going to show, show up for you that you have a little bit of a connection to. I would choose that herb and then go down the rabbit hole of research with one, this one specific single herb and start there. So say you do choose chamomile. Chamomile is one of my favorite, favorite herbs. It's great, obviously, for sleep. It's great, a great relaxant. It's really great to bring about calm. It's also so soothing for our stomachs. Whenever Leah has a tummy ache, we go to chamomile. We don't go anywhere else. I use chamomile more for tummy upset, actually, than I do just for sleep and and rest. And... uh, And start by taking that plant or ingesting that herb in its most simple form. So instead of making these complicated blends, okay, I'm going to make this sleep concoction for myself, just start with that one single herb. If you're called to chamomile, make it chamomile, source it online in its whole form. So not just little, you know, chamomile tea bags, but like find a place that sells bulk chamomile. And start drinking chamomile tea at the end of the day or all throughout the day if that feels good. And notice how you feel. So journal on, you know, how do you feel when you're actually connecting with this plant? What does it smell like? What does it taste like? What does it feel like when I drink it? What does it taste like when I chew on a flower versus when I drink it as tea? What are 
some things that you notice in connection with this plant. And as you develop that relationship, start to add more herbs in. But really, I would go for one at a time, just like I said at the very beginning. And when you decide what what herbs to have at your house as you're beginning, starting from that place of the thing you want to support. So if you know sleep is an area for you, how about you pick three herbs that you connect with that you know and that you've read and researched are supportive of sleep. And then start with them, but connect with them individually first before you blend or put them together. If you want to support your menstrual cycle, or you want more energy as you move through the day, or you want to support your heart health, or your lung health, start in that area that you know you need some nourishment and build out your own little apothecary from that place of need. And you're going to find that it's actually fairly simple. I think it's it's the, the plant world and the world of herbalism. It's simple when we keep it simple. You don't need to make these complicated combinations of things. You don't need to go and buy the most expensive blends of stuff, but there's medicine available for you right now, truly. And a lot of that medicine is going to be free available like outside of your doorstep, like in this exact moment. And it might even be that the thing that you're looking for support around is found in a plant that you already have a connection with. You just haven't opened the doors to that relationship yet. So starting from what you need, build out your apothecary from there. And if I were to say like a blanket statement herbs that I think everyone should have at home, this is really hard for me to choose. I wrote down way way more than than I wanted to write down. I would put chamomile up there, definitely. Chamomile is so great. After dinner, it's like a really good, it's also a bitter actually, and a nervine, which means it soothes the nervous system. But so wonderful. It's good for tummy aches. It's good for end of day. Good to help us if we're going through a stressful time, feeling lots of pressure, good before bed. You really can't go wrong with chamomile, I think. Um, And then I would put rose there. Rose for me, this this year for me might just be the year of the rose. I won't know until the end of the year, like if yet last year was a yarrow year for me. But rose is just an emotionally very, very, very soothing herb. Rose, if we're going through a hard time dealing with grief or separation or loss or transition, rose is a really beautiful herb to hold our heart. It's also a beautiful herb to help us open our heart if we feel a little bit shut down or closed or like we don't want to let people in. Whatever we are dealing with from the level of the heart, rose is just a beautiful, beautiful ally to to have and to hold. And I think I would put nettle there as a third. Um, Nettle, as I said, is a tonic, so it supports all the systems of the body It's anti-inflammatory, it's super nutritious, it's really great for our lung health. I give, Leia and I, we share nettle tea and then we have other things in there every single day, but there's basically always a bit of nettle (laughs) in whatever we're drinking because it's just such a good strengthening tonic for the body, great for our immune system, great for flu season. I I would put nettle there for sure. And then I also added, I added red raspberry leaf just because I had so many people ask me about support during our cycle and the different stages of our cycle. Red raspberry leaf is one of those uterine strengtheners. It really helps to support our uterus, both when we're pregnant and also when we're on our period. 
It's just one of those astringent, really powerful inward drawing herbs um, that can help us balance our cycle, but it can also help us hold and steady the uterus when we are in times of transition, like during pregnancy and postpartum. Do your research if you feel drawn to red raspberry leaf, but it's been a really beautiful ally of mine this year. But yeah, there's so much. So pick what you're drawn to and just start. You can't, I mean, as long as you're, you know, drinking and eating herbs that you know, you can't go wrong. You can't, you absolutely can't. (laughs) You can, and if you trust your intuition, it's going to take you to the perfect, perfect places, I think. I uh, really feel excited to share a little bit more specific remedies. I really want to share some of that online, maybe through social media, maybe also here on the pod as I am just building out my own my own blends and making my own medicine more and more, which feels so exciting and so fun. Uh, finally, I do want to share some book recommendations because so many of you asked that, like what what's a great book to begin? Okay, so I have three books that I want to share with you. I, I have, a, I don't know how many, I probably have 50 plus books on, on herbalism in my little library here. But I'm going to share with you three that I find just really good places to begin. The first one I want to share is Rosemary Gladstar's Medicinal Herbs, and it's literally called A Beginner's Guide. This is a great place to start because it's really for beginners, and it tell, tells you how you can identify I think it's 30-something plants. It's not super overwhelming, but how to find the characteristics and really easily identify 30 really common herbs, how to grow them, how to use them in different medicinal ways. Um, It's just how to make homegrown medicine, and she uses those like common, easy-to-source herbs that are good for a lot, a wide range of ailments. So that's one I recommend. And then the other one, and here's my favorite book, my favorite, favorite, if I were if I were to only keep one of the many books I have, it's called The Gift of Healing Herbs, and it's Robin Rose Bennett is the author, Plant Medicines and Home Remedies for a Vibrantly Healthy Life. And she has written this book where instead of going into like herb for herb, and here are these medicines for this thing. She goes by the different systems of the body. So there's a chapter on the nervous system and there's a chapter on the immune system and a chapter on the cardiovascular system and uh, on the respiratory system. You go really by, yeah, by bodily systems. And there she also describes just the poetry of each herb, which I find so beautiful, kind of similar to this idea of if a tree was a person, like if, if each herb had a personality, what would they feel like? And I love her vivid, loving descriptions of the herbs. And then her recipes in here are just amazing. I've used a lot of them. And um, no, it's my favorite, my favorite herbal book. So The Gift of Healing Herbs. And then the last one I want to share is Culpepper's Complete Herbal, which is just breaks down specific herbs one by one, Um, way more than 30. I don't know how many are in this book, but it's... Uh, just a little bit more specific around the uses of many herbs, how to gather them, how to make the medicine. There's even some like astrological connections and all the medicinal benefits in here. I just opened it at random. I'm holding it in my hand and it opened at motherwort, which is something I am sitting with right now. 
which is so amazing. Um, so yeah, so there's a description, how to find it, its virtues. So Venus owns motherwort and it's under Leo. So it t- tells you all about the astrology of the herb and then the modern uses of the herbs. So yeah, motherwort is used as a mild sedative. It's a cardiotonic, a diuretic and an astringent. Treats menstrual irregularities, nervous heart complaints, and menopausal symptoms, among other ailments. I mean, it's a great book. So yeah, Culpepper's Complete Herbal is uh, my third my third recommendation. Get all these, all three of these books, and you're good to go. Thank you so much for tuning in. I'm gonna keep the herb content coming because it's literally my my life and I love how excited we all are about returning to the earth and finding medicine right outside our our front door it really is life-changing once you start walking this path so thank you so much for being here with me have a beautiful beautiful rest of the day and um, I'll be back next week Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. If you enjoy the show, make sure you listen, rate, review, and follow all episodes of From the Heart with Rachel Brayton. This was a presentation of Cadence 13 Studio, and I'll see you next week.